Welcome to the DNet Stumps podcast, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Hello and welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast. It is great to be with you and to have me with you wherever you may be. Perhaps I'm in your car, I'm in your bedroom, I may even be under the duvet with you. Either way, it's great to be with you. And uh, if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, it's childlessly simple. All you do is you go uh, to your preferred podcast app, be it Apple Tunes, Spotify, Overcast or Downcast, Pocket Cast. You search for Dean Stumps, you subscribe and you can listen to an undiscovered treasure trove. There are interviews with the likes of David Gower, Michael Holding, Michael Vaughan, Sean Pollock, Pommy and Bungwa. And quite a few more. Andy Flower gets a look in, as well as 19-year-old sensation Tawanda Muyeye. Hello once again. My name is Dean Duplessis, and it is a great joy and pleasure to be with you. Right, so uh, this guest who we're going to be talking to now has uh, been uh, very instrumental of late over the last, say, three or four years, give or take, in the commentary box his deep and well, well-rounded voice is something that many people have become familiar with in their living rooms or however they prefer to watch the uh, cricket matches, the test matches and one-day internationals. Predominantly, he features when Zimbabwe are playing. Uh, and he also certainly featured a couple of times as a test batsman for Zimbabwe. I am, of course, referring to former opening batsman Tino Maoyo. Well, he, not, he doesn't necessarily always like to be called former. But I think uh, he's realizing that it's getting to a point now where maybe it will be time for him to move on and to uh, focus on everything else that he does so very good, such as being in the commentary box. So Tino has a career boast of 163 not out. We're going to be hearing a bit about that. But uh, first of all, he starts off by telling us how he got to love the game of cricket. So, um, yeah, my love for cricket started at a very tender age, I think. I started playing the game um, when I was about five years old. So uh, my uh, older brother, Shishami, so he used to play at school, played some provincial cricket as well. So I think actually he just used to use me more as a as the bowler for practice in the back garden. Um, but that's when I started, yeah. By the time I got to school, um, I, I had played enough at home and understood enough about the game. And as soon as cricket was available... Um, I was down in the nets and, and trying to compete for, for a place in the Colts team. I remember I, think I played my first Colts match um, in grade three. Um, but actually, I uh, started off as a bowler. I used to open the bowling. And I think my first Colts match, I, I batted 10 or something. And I didn't last very long. So, yeah, it was only later on. Um, I think it was grade six playing for the first team that... My coach, Mr. Nyakutsuka, just said to me the one week, one Thursday at training, you're opening this weekend. Um, and that was it. Ever since then, I've practically opened in, in almost every innings I've played. So, yeah, um, that's how it started. Um, and then was lucky enough to be selected to represent the Partridges um, when I was in grade seven. Um, I was way back in 1998. And then... Um, Represented all the age group sides, under-14s, um, under-16s for a couple of years. And the under-19s I did I did for three years. So, yeah, um, by by my high school days, I decided that uh, cricket was what I wanted to do with my life. 
And yeah, I just tried to put in as much as I could into that and then went to the academy um, a year after school. And that's when I started representing Zeme a bit more regularly and then got my one day international debut a year later. And how on earth were you able to transform yourself from being an opening bowler, batting a number 10, to a batsman with a very solid technique at the top of the order? How did that happen? Um, I suppose when I started to play, like I said, it was in grade six. Mm. I think I, I started to bat maybe six, seven at the time. Um, and I think the coach then just realized that actually I think this guy can do a decent job with the bat. So he just asked me to open the batting that weekend um, and I quite enjoyed it. Um, I think the one thing even at a young age I never really liked was guys batting before me and guys walking out and talking about how the guy's bowling and he's bowling so fast and the ball swinging because swinging wasn't such a big thing at a young age as well. So um, the better bowlers at that age obviously got the ball to start to swing a bit. And, uh, yeah, but they were a couple of guys who were who were starting to bowl pretty quick for a young age. So I didn't like that, um, and it discouraged me almost. So when I got the opportunity to open the batting and I realized that I'm walking out there, I'm fresh, and I always, always wanted to face the first ball. Um, and that carried on even when I opened the batting for, for Zim. So I guess... Um, I had to try and work hard on my batting to improve it as well because I'm now facing the opening bowlers as opposed to, um, you know, coming in right at the end of the innings. And I think, as I said, I really did have the passion for the game and I wanted to always do well. So always really worked hard on my on my batting technique, especially at a young age. And, and I, to survive, I suppose, because I started playing first-class cricket at the age of 16 as well and I was opening the batting then. Um, we had the likes of Campbell McMillan still around, Henry Alonga, Travis Friend, and those are the guys I had to face at a young age as well. So I just I just worked really hard on my technique. And uh, out of all the bowlers you mentioned there, McMillan, Friend, they were quick. Campbell McMillan was actually very quick. Uh, he was yeah, he was he was uh, terrifying actually for for a young um, O level student in first class cricket. <laughs> but I remember some. Encouraging words from Mark Burmester, who I played with, um, of course, for Monique Land. It was his last few years, and he just said to me, look, it's nothing you've never faced before, and um, you'll be absolutely fine. So that was Campbell McMillan bowling from one end. It was my second first-class game, and Travis Friend had just come back from Sharjah and was bowling 145 at the time. So, yeah, it was a bit of a baptism of fire, but um, I suppose after you face that and you get it early in your career, I think... It sets you it sets you off well because you know you weren't going to face much quicker than that in first class cricket. And I guess you know that's one of the many problems that we seem to be struggling with now, isn't it? So from a young age, you and the generation of players even before you already faced some really quick bowling. So the generation before you would have faced, uh, you know, uh, Heath Streak, who was a bit quicker at the time. Edo Brandis again, Henry Longa would have featured. Uh, and now, unfortunately, the players who are coming through, they don't face anything near as consistently quick. You know, at times, maybe Tendaya Chatara, when his foot can be a handful. But you, you don't have the consistency now of what you would have had when you were 16 years old making your debut. Absolutely right. Um, and, and I think it was obviously a plus for myself and, and the guys who started playing first-class cricket. Um, a lot sooner in their high school days and 
it's unfortunate because the kids now will have to walk into an international um, having not faced as much of that as they, you know, ideally would have wanted to and, and be prepared. And I think that's one thing that, that helped us when we went to our Under-19 World Cup, which was 2004 in Bangladesh. We had a group of guys who had played a fair bit of first-class cricket already. I remember Ed Rainsford, um, he used to play for Kwekwe then. Um, Brendan Taylor, Alton Chukumbura were playing, I think, MASH A at the time. I think we used to have MASH A and Mashon Land. That's right. Um, yeah. Um, and, you know, they were playing with half of the guys who played in the national team at the time. Um, I think Sean Williams had played a couple of games. Um, Stanley Marisa. There were a few other guys who, who had played first-class cricket and, and were competent. So when you then go and have to play against under-19s, um, you know, you've just got that bit more confidence and you understand the game a little bit better than some do because, you know, you've played a level before that. And I think, I think it showed in the results that we posted. What was that 2004 World Cup like? Obviously, it will always be remembered for Tinashe Panyangara's heroics against the Australians and Alton Shikumbura also bowling very nicely. You were a part of that. And I've never really spoken a great deal to players who were a part of that. Well, I've interviewed many of them, but not, not actually about that, that particular game. I mean, just, just try and talk us through what it was like arriving match day. You're going to be up against the Australians. And not only do you beat them, but you beat them comprehensively as well. Yeah, just before I get, I get on to match day, Dean, I, and I remember I told people this, um, Steve Longo at the time, had uh, coached me at under-19 level a couple of years before. Of course, when we went, it was Phil Simmons who was now our coach. But yeah. he sat me down and had a chat before we left for the tour and said, so you guys have got Sri Lanka, you've got Australia, and you've got Canada in your group. What do you need to do to get through to the next round? And I said, well, I'm pretty sure that we'll get past Canada. Australia were defending champs at the time. And I think the World Cup before that was um, in New Zealand, and they won it there. Um, and then we had Sri Lanka. So I said, well, I reckon, you know, our best chance is to beat Sri Lanka and, and Australia are tops. And I don't think that, you know, um, we'll be able to get past them as easily as we would against the Sri Lankans. And he said to me, I beg to differ. I think to beat Sri Lankans in Sri Lanka in turning conditions, what they used to, um, in Bangladesh, sorry, is going to be tougher than the Australians who are not used to playing spin, probably don't play spin as well as the Sri Lankans do. So, I mean, when I went, I, I just had that in the back of my mind. And what happened is we played Sri Lanka in the first game and lost it. So now we had to beat Australia. Um, but yeah, that match day was um, was very interesting. We had we had a dinner with them a couple of days before for the game and didn't know very much about them. Tim Payne was their captain at the time. Um, and a couple of their coaches came up and had a conversation with me, just sizing each other up before the game and stuff. Then we got to the ground. Um, I think if, if I remember well, I lost the toss. And straight away, I was like, well, that's a great start. Um, and they came out to bat. And I remember standing at second slip. Brendan Taylor was the keeper. And he said to me, um, and they had three fours and one over um, of Panyangara's over. Um, and we were in the seventh over. And they were now 50-odd. For nothing, and I remember Brendan turning to me and saying, "Sheesh, I think we're going to be chasing 300 today." Um, literally a couple of balls later is when Tanashi Panyangara got the first wicket, um, and it, it, it back foot ball, and it just rolled along the ground, and the guy was bowled. 
And then, and then from then on, it, it was just like a fairy tale. I think we ended up bowling them out in the 19th over for 70 yard or something. So that was, I mean, it was like a, a movie, like I was dreaming. And then, of course, went off the field. Brendan Taylor came out to open with um, James Cameron, left-hander. And then I think in the second over, we were naught for two. They were both out, uh, two top batters. And I walked out to bat with Sean Williams. And I think Sean and I put on about 60-odd, I think. And then I got out just before we got, we got over the line. But, oh, it was, uh, it was a special day. And as you say, that's when, of course... Uh, Panyangara announced himself at uh, the Under-19 World Cup. I remember Alton Chukubar had struggled with the ball, uh, but he came to the party that game. It was six wickets for Tinashe one end, four for Alton the other end, and, you know, innings wrapped up. So to a certain extent, Steve Mongongo was 100% correct, saying that you will have a chance of beating the Australians due to the fact that they don't play spinners much. Little did he know that it would actually be something that Australia normally deal with pretty well, pace that blew them away as opposed to your spinners. Absolutely. And I remember the first time I saw him when I, when I got back in this, in this pompous kind of way and he just said, hey, what did I tell you? And I said, no, you are absolutely right, coach. You are absolutely right. But... Yeah, it was it was a really a great tournament, um, and it, it was uh, one where a lot of guys from the under nineteen teams went on to represent their nation. Sri Lanka were captained by Faviz Maharup, yes. of course, who went on to open the bowling for Sri Lanka. Um, Tim Payne captained uh, Australia. Moses Hendricks was part of that team. Um, Callum Ferguson, I think, was another. Uh, the English. Um, Samit Patel, Ravi Bapara, Alistair Cook captain, Luke Wright, um, Liam Plunkett. So, yeah, I mean, it was crazy. Player of the tournament was Shika Dawan. He got 300s then. Wow. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the teams had, they had a lot of guys who went on to play international cricket. BRB Singh played in that tournament as well. Ambati Rayudu. Um, yeah, so it was just, it was really a, a, a wonderful experience. And I think set the majority of us up really nicely for international cricket. If you remember, uh, Zimbabwe A-team was picked after that. They went back to Bangladesh to play the A-side. Yes. Uh, which included Panyangara, I think, Chugumbura, Rainsford, Taylor, um, and a couple of others. And then, uh, um, yeah, we went on that uh, tour to Bangladesh in 2005 um, after that. So, yeah, I mean, it really was a nice stepping stone. And and I think the results we posted just, just gave the guys the confidence and the belief that, you know what, we can actually play this game. And then your one-day international debut for the national team was in 2006 again against Bangladesh, in Bangladesh. It seems to me Zimbabwe had played Bangladesh on so many occasions, but just talk us through it. I actually remember being invited to a lunch at the Academy House and you and I sitting next to each other and you were reading the newspaper and... Just at that excitement. So you'd now Absolutely. represented your country. Um, yeah. I was uh, I was still pretty shocked when I was announced in the team. And what happened is um, we had a couple of practice games, the A-side and um, the national team. I remember Vine Cup stats were um, quite important and looked at seriously um, at that time. And I remember I had a really good season. I got couple of hundreds and you know four or five fifties so um on the back of that they picked me in a zimbabwe a side which was just to play the national team 
um, who were preparing to go to Bangladesh. And we played three games and I got 90-odd and 60-odd not out and won the game for the A-side the one day. And, you know, they said, well, this kid needs to go. So, I mean, I wasn't even expecting to go. I, I thought the team had been picked and, you know, guys were going. So um, when the team was announced and I was in it, I was, I was pretty shocked. I wasn't expecting that call-up at the time. Then we went on the tour. Um, and, of course, I carried drinks for the first two or three games, um, which didn't go well for us. And then I was picked to play in the fourth ODI um, in Dhaka. And that was, uh, the, that was the first game ever at um, the Mirapool Stadium, of course, the Sherabungla National Cricket Stadium now. So, yeah, um, didn't go very well. I think I got 14 out or whatever. And then um, didn't get much in the next game as well, which is the last game of the series. Um, and then it took me a very long time to, to get back into the national side. But when I did, I think I'd learned a lot more. I'd worked a lot more on my game. Um, and I think that the results also showed that little period where I was not in the team. Um, I tried to correct the things that I thought I needed to. Tell us, but uh, you got off the mark in your, when you made, you eventually made your debut. You got off, uh, you have a, a bit of an interesting statistic there, which I'd like you to tell us about. Uh, yeah, so we we batted first, and of course I said it was the uh, first ever international game at uh, the Sherry Bangla. So I was I was lucky enough to be the first international batsman to face a ball at uh, the Sherry Bangla, and it was to um, the great Bangladesh captain Mashrafi Mutaza. And uh, and you actually got off the mark by hitting it for four, did you not? I did get off the mark by hitting it for four. Um, <laughs> it wasn't as convincing as I would have liked, but to get a four um, on debut, to get off the mark in international cricket, whichever way, I'll take it. Absolutely right. All right, so let's fast forward a, a couple of years now. We're now approaching the Zimbabwe's re-entry to test cricket. So they decided uh, voluntarily to withdraw from test cricket, which is probably a very good thing. They worked incredibly hard. They did all the right things to ensure that they got themselves back into test cricket. And just before that, it was a very hectic time and a lovely time for fans and for the players because we had we had New Zealand A, we had Australia A and South Africa A, uh, who were all at some point were, were here in Zimbabwe. And you had a pretty good time of it at the top of the, of the innings. You and Vusi Sibanda formed a, a very good partnership. Tell us, uh, we've heard often about the importance of bowling partnerships. Uh, you know, so for example, in world cricket, Warren and McGrath really stand out. From a Zimbabwean perspective, in years gone by, Heath Streak and Paul Strang bowled together quite nicely. And, and I'm sure you could mention a whole bunch of, of current partnerships which work together quite nicely. Donald Tiripanu and Kyle Jarvis seem to have a good relationship. So how important is it then for you to have that good understanding and relationship with your opening partner, who at that time was Vusi Musisibanda? I think it was good. And I, I tell people, have told people over the years that Vusi is obviously a few years older than me and he didn't play in Manikaland. So the the relationship that I had with people who had the same age difference with me and him, which was Tatenda, Hamilton, Stewie, was different because I played with them at Mountaineers. I knew them and I understood them. So Vusi and I actually became really, really good friends um, off the field. Um, as a result of, of having to bat together, um, you know, in the A side or in, in, in the national side. Um, 
and I, I've always told people that I think there was nothing better for me opening the batting in a test match with somebody like Bussy because um, I like to take my time and leave the ball a lot longer. He's a natural stroke player and, and like to get on with things. So there was never a time where I felt, you know, a little bit of pressure or we need to get on with this, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I knew if Bussy gets the half volley first ball of the test match, he's going to hit it for four. <laughs> Um, whereas I'd probably just knock it into the covers for a couple because I, you know, I, I like to just feel my way around a little bit more than him. But yeah, I, I thoroughly, uh, thoroughly enjoyed opening the batting with Pussy. Um, and as you say, we, we had we formed quite a nice partnership at at the top of the order. Um, I do remember, however, as much of a stroke player he was. He talked about Australia A being here, and we were playing at the academy, and it was Ben Hilfenhaus. Um, opening the bowling with Peter Siddle. And it wasn't even right at the beginning, it was later on, but we went through a period of eight overs where I was stuck at one end facing Ben Hilfenhaus, Vussi was stuck at the other end facing Peter Siddle. That was it. There was no singles to go to the other side. There was no nothing. Mm. Um, and I, I just thought about that, as you, you mentioned, that Australia A were around. So, yeah, um, in periods where we had to stick it out as well, Vussi did that particularly well when he needed to. And how important is it? I mean, we understand that occupation of the crease. That's how you're going to score your runs. And But it is so important to try and get to the other end sometimes, Tino, isn't it? In in, in all the formats, as you've just alluded to, you being stuck against Hilfenhaus and, and, and Vusi struggling against Peter Siddle, who was a formidable bowler in his own right. I mean, it's so it's it must become so frustrating for you as batsman, understanding that although we're playing the longest version of the game, we have to try and make sure that the scoreboard keeps rotating. Yeah, um, and I, I use that example. Sometimes it, it's just it, it's just not there, and there have to be some periods, especially in Test match cricket, where you know you've got to bite the bullet and 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 go through a period where. Things are going to be tough um, in as much as, yes, you want to get to the other side because even though you might be soaking up the pressure and facing ball after ball after ball, one, it's giving the bowler a bit more confidence and it's giving him time to, to try and work you out. That's what's so annoying for bowlers is when somebody gets to the other side easily or he hits you for a four and the next ball takes a single, gets to the other end, you know? Now you have to start again. You're bowling at somebody else um, and you have to come up with a new plan. So, yeah, it, it is very important to try and get to the other side and, and get yourself there um, as easily as possible. A lot of the batting coaches that I've had over my career always talk about, you know, the best place to bat from is the non-strikers because <laughs> you're barely in trouble. You can almost not get out unless there's a crazy run out or whatever the case may be. So it is very important, but, you know, there are sometimes, and it happened a lot, it happened in uh, the first test we played in, in uh, Barbados against the West Indies in 2013 where... Um, Tino Best was bowling one end, Kima was bowling another, and you know you can barely just get bat and ball, and you just have to to stick around. I remember that game; I got my first run after 29 or 30 balls. So yeah, I suppose um, as much as you want to get to the other side, sometimes sometimes it's it's uh, not quite that easy. Yeah, absolutely. Now, 2011, Zimbabwe playing their first Test match after six years against Bangladesh at Harare Sports Club. And everything pretty much like when Zimbabwe made, made their debut in 1992 against India. Everything went according to plan. Brendan Taylor wins a toss, elects to bat like Dave Houghton did. And it, it, it must have been a fairy tale. So you were making your debut. Brian Vittori, Craig Irvin, 
um, and, and Kyle Jarvis. And Kyle Jarvis, four debutants, which in itself is is quite spectacular. The difference this time round is 1992 Zimbabwe held on for a creditable draw, thanks to some good batting by the captain. Uh, and again, it's the captain who leads from the front. But the difference this time around, Tino, is you win the test match. I mean, could anybody have scripted it better? You're making your debut with all your mates. Zimbabwe back in the test arena after six years, and they go on to win that test match. I, I wonder if you can describe to us what that would have felt like, all these these emotions going through your mind. It was, um, as you say, uh, almost a, an emotional roller coaster. Um, I'll just bring you back a couple of days before that. Bangladesh arrived and we played a warm-up game at Country Club and I didn't get any runs. I got four or five in the first innings. I got a scratchy 17 or 18 in the second and I was desperate to know, you know, to, to try and get runs so that I can stake a claim for a place in the test match. And, and Alan Butcher, who was the coach at the time, called us one by one afterwards, talking about our performances and letting us know if we're going to be in the test squad. And when he called me, I thought, well, I haven't got any runs in this warm-up game, so, you know, I'm not going to be playing. And he's, he just said, it's unfortunate that you didn't manage to get any in this game, but um, you've been pretty steady uh, um, over the last couple of years in this kind of format. So you're in the side and we're going to go with you. You'll open the batting with Horsey. So that was a relief. Um, and it gave me a couple of days to just settle down and say, right, so I'm going to be in there and prepare myself properly. And when I look back, I enjoyed the fact that he gave us a bit of time before the game um, to mentally prepare ourselves. First time we had played a test match, some of us, and first time in, in a very long time for the others. Um, but yeah, I, I think on day three or four, you know, you just look at the game situation and you think, listen, guys, actually, we can win this test match. Um, and um, yeah, second innings, Vossi and I had a really good partnership. Hammy came in later, I think, and got 100. Brendan got 100 as well, I think, or got some runs. And, yeah. and we got quite some way ahead and then bowled, started bowling at them at the end of day four, got a few wickets. And, you know, overnight, you know, guys, let's go and think about this because we can come back and win this test match tomorrow. Um, and we came back and we did. And it was just, it was just the most amazing feeling. Um, Zimbabwe don't win many test matches, as you know, but, you know, coming back into test match cricket and to win that against a pretty good Bangladesh side who are improving and playing nicely in test match cricket themselves. Um, of course, Shakib Alassan, Mushuka Rahim um, were a couple of the top guys at the time. So, yeah, it was a, a very satisfying feeling. Um, and we had a couple of other test matches to follow on within the next couple of months. I think we had Pakistan and then we had New Zealand at home as well. So um, that confidence and, and that boost from that first game was really important. Gosh, it was a wonderful time to be a part of Zimbabwe cricket, wasn't it? Because it is just this non-stop, incredible energy. And the energy of the fans, I think, rubbed off on the players and vice versa. The, the energy of the players rubbed off on the fans. It was a wonderful part, uh, time to be uh, a part of Zimbabwe cricket. So then, as you rightly said, Pakistan, you uh, now travel down to Bulawayo and you play at Queen's Sports Club. And you didn't have to wait too long before you eventually scored. Well, not eventually, because you then scored your 100 against Pakistan and you became the third Zimbabwean opener to carry his bat throughout. Grant Flower and Mark Decker having done that previously. Uh, but, uh, amazing laugh against Pakistan as well, believe it or not. So Pakistan always seemed to be on the receiving end of Zimbabwe opening bat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Tell us about that innings, Tino. That was special, wasn't it? It was. Um, it was, Dean. 
Um, I remember, and I was actually just uh, having a go at Grant Flower the other day on WhatsApp. Um, he, we were talking about some of these old games and stuff, and I said, do you remember a couple of weeks before that test match and you were throwing balls to me in the nets, etc.?" And, and you said to me, so Tino, you've never faced Sardajmal, you've never faced anybody similar. What's your plan going into the test match? So I said, well, I've just watched a little bit of footage of him. I know he's got a good doosra, but I'm not going to get bold through the gates trying to play for a doosra. Um, I'm just going to play for an off-spinner every single ball. If I get to pick the doosra, then fine. If I don't, I'm just going to play for an off-spinner. If he bowls me a doosra and pitches on middle, hits the top of off-stump, well, that's tough luck. It's a good ball. Or if I nick it to the keeper or to slip, then, you know, um, tough luck. So I said, that's what I'm going to do when I go into test match. And he says, yeah, good thinking, actually. That, that's exactly what I was going to tell you. So I was just like, hmm, I'm not sure, Grant, if you were going to tell me that or <laughs> are you just saying that now because I've said it. But however, um, yeah, I got into the test match and then that's exactly what I did. Um, I always like to hit a lot of balls before a game, especially the evening before a game. So um, Grant and I went down to the ground to Queens the day before about four o'clock in the afternoon and we we had a good hour and a bit hit there um, and then just talked about um, you know the next day tactics and some of the other bowlers that we had just seen on footage um, from from Pakistan um, and I remember I wasn't feeling well um, that day I had had a terrible headache and I got up and I went to the physio's room at about four o'clock, 4.30 in the morning. And yeah, I was just, I was feeling terrible. Um, headache, bit of aches and pains, but I thought, you know what, I've, I've got to get on with this. So I went and had a couple of hours sleep. And then again, we won the toss and we batted first. So I was out there straight away, almost bowled, first ball, uh, full ball, swung away a little bit and I just missed it. Um, if it hadn't swung, I would have crashed into my off stump. Um, and then after that, it was, all just a fairy tale, really. Um, um, Ajmal came on. We played a warm-up game against him a couple of days before, which he didn't play in. So I'd faced Isaac Chima, who played in the warm-up game, Junaid Khan. So I knew the seamers um, a little bit. Um, so it wasn't so tough, you know, negotiating them early on. And then Ajmal came on before lunch and started bowling. Bowled quite nicely. Um, but for me, I, it was just a case of, okay, I want to make sure that I get to see this guy and, and play him out because I, I felt he was, he was the threat. And, and as I say, it just went really, really well for me. Um, um, and then end of the day, I wasn't scoring very quickly. It was 83 not out. Um, and then went back to the hotel. Um, and I was like, I'm, I'm 17 runs away. <laughs> you know, um, I, can, I can actually get there tomorrow. Um, and Grand Flower was... Uh, opposite my room. I woke up in the morning and he had slipped a little note under the door. Um, and he says, I haven't seen anybody play innings like that opening the batting for him in a test match in a long time. Don't change anything this morning. Carry on like you did yesterday and you'll get to the milestone. So that was quite encouraging and went out in the morning and then just carried on from, uh, from the night before. And then I got to 100 before lunch. Um... And I think we were, I think I was batting with, uh, uh, it must have been Greg Lamb, I think, or Craig Urban, one of the two. Um, and then I just carried on batting, of course, switched off, started again. Um, 
And then suddenly I look up on the scoreboard um, and I'm on 140 odd. And then I got to 150. And I, then I was batting with Greg Lamb, I can remember. And I looked up at the scoreboard when I was 150 plus and I, and I, was, I felt almost invincible. I thought to myself, geez, if I can bat with Greg for a little bit longer here, I could maybe start, you know, approaching 200. Mm. Um, nevertheless, Greg got out and then, yeah, it was Brian Vittori and Ray Price and Chris Mpofo, I think, who came in. So, yeah, we lost a few a few early wickets and then the innings was wrapped up. But, yeah, it was it was a very, very special, very special moment for me. Um, and I was absolutely knackered. I remember I actually couldn't get back onto the field. I got up into the change room and when I sat down, tried to get up and I started cramping in places. I didn't know I had muscles. But, yeah, um, got an ice bath for uh, 20 minutes and then I, I went out the field for the last maybe 10 overs of the day. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was truly a, a really special moment. Do you know how important was Grant Flower to you as a mentor? Because the similarities to you and Grant in terms of batting are quite um, unbelievable. I remember when I interviewed you way back in 2006, you actually said to me that as a youngster, you looked up to or you tried to emulate Grant Flower and Jacques Callas. But honestly, the, the temperament that both of you had when you were at the crease, were, there were so many similarities to the two of you. Yeah, it it was it was important, and I think I think the fact that Grant was the batting coach in the early part of my career, or at least my Test career, really really helped. So you, you're right. I I always emulated Grant Flower as a young opening batsman. I remember he used to use Hunts County, and I went to my dad, and I wanted him to get me County kit because that's how you know I wanted so much to be you know like Grant Flower. Later on, yes, Jacques Callis came into the picture. But, um, yeah, I, I then realized with Grant, as you say, we had so many similarities. So I think the way we played, the way we went about opening the innings, etc., is something that was almost ingrained within me already anyway. So I think it made his job a lot easier. And I think he understood me um, a lot better as well. So I remember there were certain things he would say to other batters, like, you have to do this or whatever, but certain times I'll just be like, you know what, Grant, I'd rather just chill out and not have a hit in the nets today or um, can I just do the sidearm in the nets as opposed to facing the bars and whatever. And he was, he was quite good with me like that. So, yeah, I think, I think the fact that um, um, we were very similar in the way we went about um, our innings and, and opening the innings in Test Match Cricket in particular um, made his job that much easier and, and just um, the relationship between us really good. And still is to this day? Still is to this day. Um, actually, I was just thinking the other day, um, there was a series we played against Bangladesh. Uh, sorry, it was against Pakistan in 2013. And I was just, I was struggling. I just had groin surgery, so I'd been out of the game for a few months and I was I was back in the side, probably hadn't hit as, as many balls as I would have liked. So just, you know, put down on confidence, trying to hit as many balls as I can. And, and Grant would come and pick me up every morning, the day of the test match, and would go to country club and would be in the nets for a good hour before the start of play. Then we'd go back to sports club um, and, uh, of course, get on with warm-up and then, and then get the day going. Um, and I, I don't know how many other coaches, 
you know, would, would do that. So, I mean, the work ethic is something that he also uh, brushed off onto me um, and preparation before a game. So, yeah, um, really good relationship. And, and I think it's important for, for that between coach and player. And then 2013, that series that you alluded to, the two test match series against Pakistan. You were just talking on Twitter the other day and you're talking about a couple of things, two memories. One was you dropping Yunus Khan when he was on 18. He goes on to get a double hundred. But then in that same series, another very happy memory. So it was a bit of a bittersweet, I guess, because that was the bitter memory. The sweet memory was leveling the series and winning that test match against Pakistan. Yeah, so... um yeah, Pakistan. I remember had uh, well, it was their full side. They had yeah. they had Yunus Khan, Kuram Manzo opened the batting that series. Um, he came in after a while. Um, Asad Shafiq, um, Misbah, of course, was the captain. Um, so that was uh, the bulk. Uh, Mohammed Hafiz was the bulk of, the, of their batting lineup. Very similar to when they came a couple of years before. And yeah, they, they, they struggled in the first test match in both innings, their batters. Um, and I remember Tinashe Panyangara in particular and Chatara bowling well and, and striking early and putting them under pressure. And then Yunus came in, he scratched around, um, in the beginning of his innings. And then he got past 50, got to 80 and I dropped him, uh, at first slip. And if we had got him out then, they would not have got the lead that they got. Um, to beat us in the, in the second innings. Uh, and I just remember he batted out, ended up yeah, 200 not out at the end of the day, and then they declared. And then uh, there were a few overs left in the day. And Bussi and I, of course, had to walk out for those last few overs. And then what made it worse is I got out the third last ball of the day, I think, to Saeed Ajmal. Yeah, I played for an off spinner and it was a deucer at mm. LBW. Um on the back foot. So that's, yeah, that didn't uh, help my situation at all. Um, on that day, it was the end of day four. I remember that lost the test match. Uh, went away for a few days and I hadn't scored runs in that first test either. So it really wasn't, um, the comeback I would have wanted to have, um, in the side after the, after that, uh, surgery I just had. And then the second test, um, again, actually didn't start so well for me. I was given out, uh, caught behind and the ball was off my thigh pad and I actually remember the umpire coming to me um, at lunch and saying Tino I'm sorry um, I got that one wrong and I was, I was like you know no worries but it was a worry because yeah, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm struggling anyway I don't need to be getting shockers from the umpires yeah. but um, yeah the second innings uh, was a different story I, got, I think I got 70 odd in the second innings um, and then we got we got quite a few ahead I think we got 280 ahead of them etc and then um, the second innings heroics of Chitara, I think he got five, five for something to win the test match for us. But yeah, that was, that was another uh, fantastic moment. And that was, uh, yeah, second test victory um, at Harare Sports Club was, was also very, very special. But it, it became very tense towards the end there, didn't it? Because Pakistan were just beginning to inch their way towards the target. And then Tendai Chatara didn't really help matters by running in and bowling a couple of short balls, which were eventually wided. And I can remember Brendan Taylor say, you know, just becoming a bit anxious and hearing him through the stump microphone saying, hey, come on, please. You know, just yeah, that, that yeah. angst in it his was, voice. And, it was very tense, Because <laughs> um, I remember at lunchtime, 
they were five down and we were approaching the second new ball. But Chaparra was bowling well and he had bowled quite a few overs. So we came back out after lunch and I think the situation was, do we bowl Chaparra a bit longer so he can try and get a couple of wickets? And I think we stopped him for a bit and then he came back as the, as the um, new ball was approaching. But before that, I think he got one other wicket um, uh, with the old ball ball. And I was fielding at mid-off. And I was just encouraging him and whatever. And it was at the combox end, I remember. And he's walking in his run-up. And he just says to me, Inshona, I'm under net, which is, you know, I'm tired. I'm tired. And I was like, you can't tell me you're tired when the new ball is a couple of overs away. And you can clean these guys up. And I remember Misbah was was the senior batsman and he was trying to bat with the lower order. And I said, all we need to do is to get Misbah out. If we get Misbah out, we've won this test match. Or if you can keep getting wickets at the other end, then he can get under pressure and maybe try and play a big shot or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just pushed him and pushed him and got to the new ball, bowled a few overs the new ball. I think he got another two wickets of the new ball. And, um, yeah, that's when, that's when uh, they really started to, to crumble. And, and the euphoria of that test win, I mean, a, a test win is a test win, but would that be a bit more uh, special? Which one would you, would you specialise a bit more? Your, your test win as, you know, making your debut for the side against Bangladesh or that test win against Pakistan? Or is it, you can't really... Uh, it would definitely be the one against Pakistan. Right, right. Um, more so because... Um, of the quality of cricketers that we are playing against. Take nothing away from Bangladesh. I did mention that they were playing good cricket at the time, but you look at the Pakistan team we were playing then and you look at the uh, Bangladesh team we were playing then, I think Pakistan were a much better test side, a lot more experience. I was talking about Yunus Khan, Misbah Ulhaq, uh, um, Saeed Ajmal himself, Junaid Khan had played a lot. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I think to win the second test match, to draw a series after having lost the first one um, and feeling that, you know, I contributed to the team's loss, to then come back, get runs in the second innings to help us get into a good position um, and then go on to win the test match. Yeah, that, that would make that one just pip the first test win on debut against Bangladesh. And of course, one of the incredible accolades that you had was former South African captain Kepler Vessels giving you a couple of nice compliments. Now, it's not often that one gets a compliment from Kepler Vessels uh, because he he says how he feels. So if it doesn't feel particularly good, then you'll know about it. But Kepler Vessels actually had some nice words to say to you as well, didn't he? Kepler said, um, Kepler had a chat with me uh, just before the test match in Bulawayo when I got the 160 and Grant came to me and said Tino Kepler Vessels wants to have a word with you and I thought what have I done mm-hmm. um, and he said yeah he said whenever you can spare a moment after training or whatever at the hotel so I went and I sat with him for a little bit um, and he said I watched you play in that first test match in, in Harare and I said yeah and he said you look pretty organised um, you don't play too many shots but um, I think you've got the fundamentals of, of an opening batter. And um, if I were you, I wouldn't change much in my game. Um, but you keep playing the way you are at the moment. There's runs around the corner. And he said, you've got a good solid technique. You leave the ball well, you're patient. That's good. 
Um, you play the cut shot, which is when the ball is short and wide. So that's a good scoring area for you. You drive the ball well down the ground and you play off your legs well. So I, I don't see any other shot that you need to put in your armory as an opening batsman. Bat long enough and keep those fundamentals and, and you'll get some runs. And that was literally a couple of days before that test match in Bulawayo. You got the 100. Yeah. Goodness me. Unbelievable. So, Tino, I guess this uh, sets it up quite nicely. What what happens to Tino Mawayo now? You are making incredibly good strides in the commentary box. A wonderful voice to listen to. Uh, one of the one of the better commentators around on the circuit, in, in my opinion. But what now in terms of of your playing career, realistically speaking? Yeah. Look, um, I'm getting on to 35 now, um, and I felt that. You know, I still got a fair bit to pass on to kids, especially playing um, domestic cricket. Um, I was extremely, extremely excited when Kevin Kasuza was picked to play in the test match and even more happier when I saw the strides he made and, and, and the manner in which he went about his game. And I feel over the years that we've opened together, I've tried to teach him one or two things. And I think a few things have rubbed off. So, you know, at... at, at First class level, I, I really would like to to still pass on some some information to to some guys and and, and help prepare them for for when they get to the next level. So um, that's my feeling, um, but we'll we'll see how it goes over the next over the next year or so. Um, other than that, yeah, you mentioned the commentary. Um, that's always been um, a passion of mine, and I've been uh, blessed enough to over the last couple of years just be getting. Um, a few more opportunities outside of Zim. So as you know, of course, um, I would always do commentary on the local series if uh, I wasn't selected to play or if I was playing the test matches, I would do commentary for the shorter matches. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had a couple of opportunities now outside of, of Zimbabwe and, and learning a lot from, from a lot of the other commentators that I rub shoulders with around the world. So just pray that I can get a few more opportunities in, in that area and uh, obviously just try and learn as much as I can off, off some of the more established and um, you know, world-renowned commentators. It's got, it could become a bit tricky for you, Tino, because you've got quite a few interests in terms of your the Tino Moyo Foundation as well, where you nurture the youngsters up in Manikaland in Mutare uh, and the surrounding areas. But it, there could come a time where, where choices will have to be made because obviously you're beginning to make your presence known in the commentary box. People are beginning to, they like what you do, so they're beginning to reach out. And as you said, you are going to be involved, hopefully with more and more uh, neutral series as well. So a time is going to come, Tina, where you're going to have to decide, do I want to expand a bit more as a commentator or do I still want to put a lot of my work and effort into the various foundations that I currently am running? You're right, Dean. You're absolutely right. And, and I've had to already start to make some of those choices in life um, with regards to the playing side of things. Uh, I had a couple of offers the last couple of years to play club cricket in the UK. Um, and I turned them down. Um, the main reason was, of course, you know, we do the Junior Development Festival in September with the kids in Mutare. Yeah. September would mean that I'd spent, you know, the summer in England, and I wouldn't be here to organize that festival and make sure that everything runs smoothly. It's, we've only had it a couple of times, and I, I didn't believe that it's at the stage where 
um, I can leave that responsibility to somebody else. Um, the one we had last year, I was away in Bangladesh on tour, but I had I had been here for the majority of the time before it. I left literally uh, four or five days before. Um, so everything in terms of uh, being in order and how I wanted it to run was okay. And I got really nice support from uh, the Mountaineers guys who looked after the festival while I was away. Uh, Wanda Chisango, um, who's now heading the Eagles franchise, was was running Motari at the time. And all the domestic coaches that... Uh, that uh, took part as well and, and coached the teams and stuff, I, I really appreciate. So, yeah, those decisions are, are going to have to be made, Dean. And as I said, I've already had to start to make some of them. But I think it's a good space to be in because um, I've, got, I've got variety. There's, there's certain ways that, that I can go. And I've always tried to, to give myself those options after my playing days. So a few years ago, I went and I did my coaching badges um, um, in Australia, so I've got the level two side of coaching and I'm looking to get on to my level three um, in a couple of years' time. Um, and I'm also a qualified umpire, um, even though it's just entry level, but you know, I think I'll be able to sit and write the next, the next stage whenever that becomes available. But I always just want to be in a position where you know, I've, got, I've got the ability to make choices myself as opposed to being forced into a particular direction because you know, there's nowhere else to go. And uh, of course, uh, again, the time will come where where a very firm choice will be made. But as you said, you got you got so many dis- varieties. I guess it's a bit like a bowler who's got a variety of slow balls, knuckle knuckle balls, and and bounces as well. So it's nice, Tino. You, know, you have you have a lot to work with. But as we wrap up this conversation, um, one of the things that you have been tasked to do is to put together an all-time Zimbabwe Test eleven. So uh, I'm wondering. Who it is that have that has made your Zimbabwe all-time Test team? And I'll tell you, you've made me rack my brain this afternoon more than I probably racked my brain trying to prepare for a Test match. Just to let you know, um, yeah, it, 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 it's been tough, uh, but but this is what I've come up with, and it'll be interesting to to hear what your thoughts are on um, on some of those guys. Um, so I've gone with an opening pair of Grand Flower and myself. Right. Um, number three was 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 difficult to try and come up with, but I've gone with with Murray Goodwin, um, who I saw a lot of, of course, you know, when he when he played his Test matches for Zimbabwe before he moved on. Um, number four, I've gone with Andy Flower, captain and wicketkeeper. Right. Five, uh, Davy Halton. Six, I've gone with Guy Whittle. Right. I've gone with Guy Whittle because, um, one, he was more than handy with the bat at test match level. And um, if there was one thing that I liked about Guy Whittle, it was he would be handed the ball that's 65 overs old and he would do a more than good job with it. And he always broke partnerships for, for Zim. Um, and he could bowl for 15 overs on the trot. Yes, and he'll just hit line and length, swing the ball a little bit, always creates a chances. And I thought he was a very, very handy cricketer to have at, at test match level. Seven, um, Graham Creamer. Uh, um, I say that because 
I've seen, and especially when, when he played his last few games, he had, in my opinion, um, matured into a proper world-class leg-spin bowler. Um, um, I thought about Paul Strang, but um, at the end of the day, maybe because I played with Graham as opposed to Paul and I know him a little bit better and, and what he did um, when we were on the field as opposed to watching Paul um, is why I've gone with Graham. Right. Eight, heat streak. Um, great all-rounder, best bowler we've had in Zimbabwe, wonderful with uh, the ball, whether he was opening the bowling or coming back in the middle order, and of course, very, very handy with the bat, uh, more than handy. Um, nine, 10 and 11 are my other two fast bowlers. Um, and the last one is an off-spinner. I don't, I don't know um, the off-spinner's batting prowess, so I've gone with Tendai Chitara at number nine. Right. Um, uh, you mentioned him and injuries a little bit earlier on. He's been unfortunate in that regard. But when uh, the boy is fit and when he's got uh, that ball in hand, um, he's caused lots and lots of problems for some of the world's greatest batters. Um, and I know him personally. And, and what, you know, what I've seen him do over the years. So, Tendai Chitara. The other two are Henry Alonga and John Tricos. I don't know how John Tricos was with the bat. I know how Henry was. So, you can probably put them in the right order there at the bottom. No, no you're quite right. I like that very... Uh, John, unfortunately, wasn't the greatest with the bat. One of the world's okay. better gully fielders. So, John, John Tricos at 11 works quite nicely for me. Okay. With Henry at 10 and 10 at 9. Uh, so, so I, I, no room for Edo Brandis, Tino. No room for Edo Brandis. I thought you might know that a bit better than me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so those are the 11 that uh, that I've gone with. Right, okay. No, it's not a bad... Look, I, I for me personally, I must admit, I would have picked um, Paul Strang over Graham Creamer, but I understand very much where you're coming from. You wouldn't know you've never played with Paul. Uh, yeah. Don't forget that Paul also does give you the extra batting option, whereas um, I also would have had his streak batting ahead of Graham Creamer. But mm-hmm. um, no, well, what you say does does make huge amounts of sense. So there you are. That is Tina Moyle's batting, or sort of, should I say, all-time Zimbabwe Test eleven. I'm very happy to see that he's decided. I tell you what, that's wonderful opening a batting you and Grant because. The one thing that that Grant did very well, Tino, is he he was he was very good at being like you, leaving the ball alone, and he could spend hours defending and defending. But when need be, he could up the ante and, and actually score quite aggressively, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah, he could. Um, and I think if you look at if you look at uh, Grant and the time that he played, the talking Test match cricket, he had so many quality batters that were around him and 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 played with them that. As I said, possibly a similar situation that I talked about with Wussy and I is that he never really had to try and get on with stuff in the test match. I remember at one stage he opened with Neil Johnson, who was free-flowing, you know, um, and was very happy playing his strokes early on in the innings. Then, of course, he opened for a long time with Gab Rennie, who was very similar to how Grant went about his business. But then later on in the order, um, Andy Flower, Murray Goodwin, um, Guy Whittle were guys you could who could come in and 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 you know 
get on with the business. So I think, yeah, for Grant, um, yeah, he could he could sit back. But in one day cricket, um, especially when he opened the batting, he could he could he could move on with things pretty quickly. Mm. So a couple of key players missing out there, Tino. As I said, one Edo Brandis, uh, he he missed out. He didn't make your eleven. Sean Irvin, yeah. Sean Irvin didn't get a look in either. Um, mm-hmm. So would you you would prefer Guy Whittle over Sean Irvin? Would you? Yes, I would. Yes, I would. Um, and it, that's because uh, obviously watched a lot more of Guy Whittle playing Test match cricket for Zimbabwe. Sean played a couple of matches and then and then moved on to the UK. So I didn't see enough of him, um, you know, on TV um, and and uh, playing Test match cricket, of course. Edo Brandis is one who I thought a lot about. Um, but again, it, it came down to um, I never really saw Edo Brandis play a lot of cricket. Fair enough. I remember the first time I saw him play was um, that amazing series that we beat England 3 0. Um, so I saw a little bit of that on TPB um, and then didn't watch too much too much cricket in 97-98 time. He went to the World Cup in 99, but I think by then, you know, those were those oh, were his last few days. So yeah, yeah, in Test match cricket in particular, I, I, I actually never saw Edo Brandy's bowl. Well, he actually didn't have the greatest of Test records. He was very unfortunate, actually. So I, I would have picked Tendai Chattara ahead of Edo in terms of uh, Tendai, in the amount of Test matches that the two played. Tendai versus Edo. Uh, yeah. Tatara actually took more wickets than Edo Brandis did. So, Tino Moyo, it's been absolutely great talking to you. Um, what is the immediate future? Well, uh, well, we need to get through COVID-19. And, but I guess when all of that is, is semi behind us, what is the future, the immediate future, hopefully for Tino Moyo? Is it on an aeroplane and back into the commentary box? What can we expect? Well, um, I'd hope so. As, as soon as COVID's done, I've, uh, been sitting and trying to plot and plan the festival for the kids for this year. Um, I don't know if we'll be, you know, in a position to to have that. But I was just thinking maybe if I make sure I've got my plan in order and if this thing is lifted, then um, at least I've got my plan in order and then we can get things going. So, yeah, just uh, trying to sit and plan around that. And then, yeah, hopefully if uh, if we uh, get some cricket started up, I can I can... Yeah, be in the com box somewhere. Well, Tino, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and we wish you nothing but the very best for whatever lies ahead of you. Thanks a lot, Tino. Good to catch up. You're listening to Dean at Stumps, hosted by Dean Duplessis. There you are then, Tina Mawoyo, having a bit of a chat on the Dean at Stumps podcast. Hey, it's been great having you along, and uh, just a reminder, if you'd like to tell your friends and family about it, all they need to do is to go to their preferred podcast app, look for Dean at Stumps, subscribe, and listen to some very, very enjoyable interviews indeed. Thank you so much indeed for listening. Uh, that is pretty much all from Dean at Stumps, and we'll be back pretty soon with uh, our next, next guest, should I say. But until then, it's goodbye. been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast. 